Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about relational mindfulness and what the heck does that mean? Well, a lot of us feel pretty wound up and reactive and sometimes feel stuck and maybe even feel a little crazy in our relationships, whether we're going through a serious relationship crisis or betrayal, or just trying to figure out why you don't feel as close to your partner as you'd like to. Regardless, relational mindfulness is something that can help you find your way out of the mess toward healing. And my guest today is an expert on this topic, and her name is Liz Higgins, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's the founder of Millennial Life Counseling in Dallas, Texas, and she's also a podcast host of the show Millennial Life Podcast, and she loves working with millennials. She's a millennial herself and wants to help everyone, especially this generation, find health and wellness, if anywhere else in their life, but certainly in their committed relationships. And she's been featured in places like the Huffington Post, New York Times, and so on, and just uh, really love her stuff on social media. And she does a great job teaching and explaining things in a really simple and straightforward way. And I hope you'll enjoy the interview today. It's just a, we take an approach today in talking about relationships from a, I guess, from a mindfulness perspective in terms of how we can become more aware, more connected to ourselves and to our partner, slow things down and become much more intentional and less reactive about the things that happen in our day-to-day interactions. And I think you'll find some really powerful applications for yourself and your relationship. So let's dive right into my interview with Liz Higgins. Liz, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be doing this. Today, we're going to talk about relational mindfulness, which sounds like a mouthful and probably a term a therapist would only come up with, right? But (laughs) (laughs) probably true. Yes. But but really, I think at the core, what what I'm hoping we can talk about and share with our listeners is how to stay present and centered in your own relationship and not get and not get pulled in lots of different directions, either from internal stuff or external stuff, but to stay present with your partner, which is really such an important thing if you're going to build a deep, intimate bond with somebody is to have that presence, have that attunement, have that connection 
and not get splintered off or fragmented. And so let's talk about, I'd love to hear from you, like how you, I guess, conceptualize this idea of relational mindfulness. I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear just what you think of when I throw out that phrase. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I did not create the term, so I guess I should out myself on that piece right there. I learned of the term and the process of relational mindfulness through relational life therapy, which is created by Terry Real. And I read his book a few years back, The New Rules of Marriage, and it just really touched me on a different level than anything else I had seen as a wife in a marriage and as a therapist and a couples therapist. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is a very relevant modern day take on how to have a healthy relationship practice. And the deeper I've gone into my own clinical work and studies as a therapist, and the more I have tried to integrate what I've learned into my own healing and my own relationship, it's like, there's just never going to be a quick fix to conflict, to that experience of being like unhappy or things coming up and tensions happening. Like relationships are not meant to be perfect. So, so then the question is like, okay, so then like, how should my relationship be? And so relational mindfulness has been this, this learning and this process that I've really taken on for myself, honestly, that that being in a committed relationship for me is a daily practice. Mm. And just like, you know, we, we've got a lot of hype, I think, in our culture right now around this idea of mindfulness, this practice of mindfulness, and people are meditating and they're trying to find ways to kind of go into themselves a little bit more. And I just, it resonated with me so much that we can do this relationally, that it's not just this within myself process. Although like, you know, practicing my spiritual practices and prayer and like whatever things that work for me to kind of help me be in my best is important. There's that piece of like, how does this play out in my relationships to others? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I've talked to lots of clients that come from this place of like, I'm just healthiest when I'm single. It's like when I'm in a relationship, right. everything goes down and everything just gets all crazy. And I who am I? Like, I don't even know who this person is. I'm just upset or you know, unhappy. I just feel like my needs aren't met. And we can get really good at that individual practice, but relational mindfulness is a whole other practice. And so I hope that answers the question, but it's just a lot comes up for me on that. Yeah, no, I love it. Love it. And I didn't, I didn't realize that this came out of Terry Reel's work. That's really cool. Yeah, he is where I learned the, the term and the idea. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love, I like a lot of his stuff. And I, you know, I think that your, I mean, your point about how so much of mindfulness and meditation is a solo practice, but we don't live in a vacuum. We don't just go live up in the mountain somewhere and just get right. deeper into our own self. The idea, mm-hmm. at least with my, my practice, and I started practicing more actively, formally meditation about two years ago. I dabbled in it here and there and paid a lot of lip service to it before. <laughs> but when I really started right. taking it seriously, it was a couple of years ago as an individual practice. But I noticed that really... For me, the whole point of it was so that I could show up better in my relationships with my yeah. with my wife, with my kids, with my clients, with my coworkers, and mm-hmm. just really it, it's it's about helping me stay centered so I can offer my best to other people. Because you know, I don't I don't know how you are, but I just feel like I could be the most well adjusted, healthiest functioning human being on the planet, but for what? Like I, mm. we're here to like, it's like the Ivan and Alyosha song, right? Like living for someone else. Like our idea is that we're here to 
not let other people run our lives, but we're here to like interconnect. And there's just something more transcendent, more joyful when we're connecting with other people. I think we're, you know, we're hardwired that way. And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say, like, it is our essence to right. be in connection. And that doesn't necessarily mean like you must be married, you must do this For or sure. that, but you are in relationship, Absolutely. whether you realize it or feel like it or not. And, right. Yeah. No yeah. man is an island. No woman's an island. We're not just mm -hmm. acting as if I'm doing all this stuff just mm -hmm. to like feel peace and not have to have anybody touch me or annoy me. And the truth right. is, is even in traffic, we're in relationships. So, um, so true. So uh, yeah. So relational mindfulness, I don't, you know, for our listeners, I don't want you to get narrow and think, well, this is only about my marriage. Right. It's about your relationship to nature. It's a relationship to a God or to a higher power. It's your relationship to anything that you relate to, anything that you can bond to, connect to, feel part of. I think the application for probably most of our audience here on this podcast are people that are working through some sort of relationship crisis that are trying to find their way back to connection after something, something's been broken. And mm -hmm. so we are probably going to apply a lot of this to adult romantic attachment relationships, marriages, long-term commitments. Yeah. And, right. and, and honestly, and honestly, Jeff, I think that if you are listening and if you are in a partner relationship or you desire to be at any point in your life, like that honestly becomes the best platform to practice this kind yeah. of thing. If you yeah. are practicing this stuff within that relationship, it's just going to be even easier in your working relationships, your friendships, family relationships, all that stuff. So, yeah. So Liz, as far as, you know, starting to walk into this topic of relational mindfulness, I would love to, from your perspective, do you feel like there's a, I guess, a, a clear path going into this? Like, does it come in, does it come to us sort of through an individual mindfulness practice? Does it come through you know, other directions. I'm just so curious when yeah. you're trying to guide someone into this space to really understand how to be more mindful in their relationships. Where do we yeah, start sure. with that? Well, it's a great question. And as I've kind of thought about how I would express some of my thoughts around it, like honestly, my own personal experience just comes up as the way to, to share it. You know, it's sure. like, because to understand like, why would I even embark on learning relational mindfulness? What is it? You know, we have to identify the pain point, right? We got to have some totally. kind of leverage for why do we want to do this in the first place? And so I, I step back, I, I pull it back to like, I had a lot of relational anxiety and what I was mentioning earlier that that experience of, you know, some people saying like, I'm just better when I'm not in a relationship. Like, I mean, I didn't necessarily have that. I, and I was in a great relationship. And my framework, just to give you a little reference, I'm married. I've been married over a decade now. When I married my husband, we were together for five years, but this was still, this is the relationship where I, I was experiencing relational anxiety. And what I mean by that was for me and outing myself as a millennial living in this generation where, you know, there's a lot of that push for instant gratification. There's a lot of push for like, you can be the best. You can reach the stars. You can like grow up and become anything you want in this world. You start to get this kind of grandiose thinking of like, or at least I did of like, yeah, I should reach for the best. Like I should work so hard and I should, I should expect the best. And you know, it, it for me, it was this experience of like seek perfection and be perfection. And that's skewed because none of us are that. Right. <laughs> and if we right. run ourselves ragged, trying to be perfect, we usually end up with some issues, other issues around that. But so the relational anxiety piece kind of manifested even within a really healthy and good relationship of 
this plaguing anxiety of like, how do I know? Like, but how do I really know? This is like a really big decision to be making. How can I like with certainty know that I'm, I'm doing the right thing here, that I'm with the right person? And it felt really extreme sometimes. And it surprised me and caught me off guard and almost felt like I couldn't talk about it because my relationship was, it was a good one. Like on paper, it looked great. And I'm like, why would I even be struggling with this? So that's a little insight to like where I was at a formative time in my life. And it just so happens that I'm in this career path to become a therapist, which I'm so grateful for. It just feels like such a privilege to have gone that path because it pushed me into some deeper insights to myself. It's kind of pushed me back into my original story, my narrative growing up and who I had learned to become in this world that I have had grown in that was like really putting me in this place of like seek perfection, like, you know, make sure you make all the right choices. And that felt like a lot of pressure. And so rather than do what might have felt more comfortable to do, honestly, which could have been like bounce and leave the relationship. Like, I just don't think I'm ready for this. I just don't think it's the right time. I stayed in and I did the work, quote unquote. So the work just really became opening space in myself and then eventually like involving my husband in that, doing some really cool experiences together with like relationship workshops. And we did a boot camp this past year too, virtually. Like we just started doing some of those things to really talk about ourselves, you know, our, or I should just speak for me, I guess, my anxiety experience, what that was like. I put it out there. I like gave space to it in my relationship and, you know, luckily had a partner that was willing to be on board with learning that part of me and not taking it so personally. And the relational mindfulness piece has been a part of that. It's been, you know, hey, I've been asking the wrong questions. I've been asking these questions that, have just kind of fed this anxious narrative of like, make the right choice, find the right person, be perfect. And, you know, just have my ducks all in a row and not really embracing the mystery that is marriage, that there will be so much uncertainty. There will be a lot of moments where you don't know. Questioning the life that you're in and the partner you have is actually normal. And leaning into those experiences of anxiety, trying to understand it, will actually help you grow and deepen this relationship to your own inner self. And so, yeah, I just, that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love, I love that you're talking about coming, coming into this space of relational mindfulness through the door of relational anxiety, which of course is the, you know, I think the path for a lot of us, why we start an individual mindfulness practice. I know for me, my own individual practice began because I wanted to slow down. I wanted to be more present. I wanted to be less reactive. And and relationally, when you're saying, yeah, like I'm I'm at the doorstep of this this relationship, of this possibility. And and my goodness, I think in, you know, if you're talking, you know, 10, 15 years ago as you're starting to look at this relationship and figure things out, I think that there's so much anxiety just in general around all of our options and that we we have this illusion that we can achieve perfection. Because right. it, it appears that lots of other people seem to be doing it, where there's a lot of sort of visual cues that you know, signal to us that people are somehow achieving this, this incredible connection, relationship, lifestyle, whatever, social media, movies, whatever. There's so many examples of this, which you know, it's hard to know what's real out there with it, obviously. <laughs> that's so true. It's so true. And I love that word you used, illusion. I mean, mm-hmm. that's 
I think I definitely had a lot of that going on and we can go lots of different places, you know, directions with that. It's like, okay, you know, let's get into the family of origin. What did you learn there? Let's just look at society at large. Like, you know, it was kind of that stereotypical millennial growing up soaked in the Disney stuff and soaked in just those fantastical ideas about true love and all that stuff. And, and, it's like, it's not that those things are like false in and of themselves, but it's their pieces, they're pieces of the pie. And, you know, yeah, it, exactly it, right. The progressiveness of with social media and growing up with that piece of it, technology and now becoming to becoming connected to the world at large and people that I thought were only real on TV. Now I can go on Instagram and see what they're eating for dinner like that stuff just feeds more of that FOMO narrative, which uh, is like fear of missing out. Like, oh my gosh, life out there looks so incredible. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like you have to be so careful with the just persistent tendency to compare yourself. Yeah, because it's not just a FOMO individually of, you know, oh, I hate my body or my food is so boring or yeah. my vacations are so ordinary. It trickles right into relationships. I'm with the wrong person. Look how fun these people are. Look at how much this person loves this person. And you can start to really hold up your relationship, which can feel like you're just in some old tired sweatpants versus the sexy, you know, black dress relationship you're looking at on Instagram. You know, it can just feel like I'm missing out somehow. And I think that this definitely plagues generationally, plagues this generation differently than it would have even my generation. I dated my wife back in 1996 when. I barely had even set up my first email address. I mean, there was no social media. I'm like, were there cell phones? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have one. I didn't get my first cell phone probably till five years later. But yeah, there, you know, even, I mean, I'm, I'm only 46, but like, you know, people, my generation, we weren't dealing with a lot of these comparisons. You only really compared kind of who was around you or celebrities, which were totally, you know, way out of our league and possibility. Right. So it was just pretty much, you know, but now you can... Now you can come. And then even going further back with our parents, grandparents and onward, it was just whoever was in your village. And it was just like, well, like this will work like this person. I care about them. But there was something you just weren't paralyzed by all the possibilities where now it's so it's I think it's I have a lot of compassion for anybody who's trying to navigate at least starting a new relationship now in terms of choices. But I think it also affects people that are already in committed relationships because they look at their relationship and have this gnawing sense that something's not right with it. And you, I think, well, I love what you said. You have to be aware. You have to be paying attention and saying, something doesn't feel right with this, with me, with this whole thing. And that's where I think the mindfulness starts, wherever it's coming from. Yes. And I think that when we're in that experience of like, something doesn't feel right, what is this? Like, if we're not really in a place of, you know, mindfulness and just, just healthy self-awareness, we're pretty quick to just kind of wrap ourselves in shame. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with me. You know, what is it about me that I can't enjoy this relationship or that, you know, this doesn't feel right. And I mean, that, that narrative of like, that there is this right way and this ideal way and that life should look like this, just get on Instagram, you know, you'll (laughs) spend a day and have this like picturesque idea of what everything's supposed to be like. It's, it's not, it's not reality. Could be somebody else's, but it doesn't have to be yours. And that's you know, just not it. To just, yeah. 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 Because I think there are people that, that are authentically sharing what's going on for them. I mean, if, you know, totally. if, I have a, if I have a great day with my wife and I post a picture, like we are having a great day, but it doesn't mean that on the way home, 
you know, she doesn't pick a fight with me and I'm just going to throw her under the bus on that for fun. Right. Right. But, you know, or I pick a fight with her or whatever, just teasy. But like, yeah, for us to to have some conflict right after that, you're not going to see that. I'm not going to post that. So, and for couples that are dealing with like betrayal issues, couples that are dealing Mm -hmm. with when things really aren't right in their relationship. And this Mm -hmm. isn't, so we're talking about sort of garden variety surface level comparisons of what I would consider more superficial things like, you know, our vacations or our, you know, our kind of general happiness or whatever. But when they're, when a couple, when someone in a couple is really feeling like something's off and they feel like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't, this pattern doesn't feel right. Or maybe there's a secret or there's, or there's already been a betrayal and I don't feel like I know where to go. Relational mindfulness in that context to me is like critical. Like that's where, I mean, if you're, if there's ever a time to be mindful in your relationship, it's, it's in those moments, right? Yes. Yes. And there's kind of like two pieces for me on this relational mindfulness practice because you're talking about you know you're moving you're moving forward from maybe a painful experience a betrayal something has happened and there's just those activations that you feel Mm -hmm. so it's like and yes we are talking about this stuff in the context of like a partner relationship which is really important to note because yeah you know most likely like that's the relationship where these type of pains and experiences are going to happen for you because it's a unique relationship right and so the two, the two, you know, pieces that I kind of look at it from is one is like that in the moment, in the moment when we're driving home and we're having this conflict and it's about whatever, like relational mindfulness is like, okay, how am I going to choose to show up in this moment? How do I respond? Because we've got our first awareness or Terry Real calls, calls it our first consciousness. And that's our knee jerk reaction to things, which usually isn't the healthiest, often isn't the prettiest or the most respectful to you or your partner. Right. And then there's the second level. There's the second second consciousness or the thoughtfully responding out of self-awareness and who I want to be, the kind of person I want to be, regardless of what is occurring next to me right now. And so that like in the moment response process is one piece of relational mindfulness. The other piece to me is the much, much, much deeper process, doing the deeper work, which honestly, I feel like a lot of people don't want to do or they're scared to do. It's okay to be scared to do it, but it's like the stuff that really does connect Mm -hmm. to, hmm, you know, who did I learn to be growing up? And how did the experience that I had in my family of origin, how is that connecting to the way that I get activated in my partner relationship and the way that my nervous system has learned to respond and protect me and to, again, just like get activated and shut down or pull away or get really angry and, you know, have these intense fights with my partner. That's the other piece. And that's one that, you know, you say yes to that work, like... I don't know how else to call it, except you just get really enlightened. (laughs) Yeah. Buckle up. It's good work. Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah. And so for my listeners, I want to just pass by that one more time, Liz, because I I love what you just said. And I I don't want anybody to miss it, which is whether you've been betrayed or not, most of my audience are dealing with some kind of a betrayal in their relationship. Whether you've been betrayed or not, there are two ways to come at this relational mindfulness. Number one is just how you react in the moment. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's an initial reaction, which most of us maybe have some consciousness of. We can even be conscious of it as it's happening. We're like, oh, I don't like how my voice sounds or I feel like I'm loud. But then there's this second consciousness, which I agree, which is, I would say is, sounds like it's like, that's where there's almost more of a choice 
I mean, you yes. can, you can, you know, you have to take accountability for everything because, you know, we're not going to let people off the hook. If you, if you respond badly in the first reaction, you got to own that. But the second one is really a chance to come back into it with a level of awareness, mindfulness, accountability, and really linking yes. up to your value system in a deeper way. But then the second way of approaching relational mindfulness is more of a longer term play, like you said. Mm-hmm which is slowing down and saying, okay, I'm looking at patterns now. I'm looking at Mm -hmm. my background. I'm looking at my own tendencies, temperament, experiences, family relationships, attachment history, et cetera, and really mindfully deciding how I'm going to show up in relationship, whether I've been hurt, whether I have a reason to be hurt or not, or upset, or I'm afraid. doesn't matter. I have to be aware of how I'm presenting and showing up and directing my own life. Absolutely. Yes. And I can say as somebody who, again, giving credit to being in this field that prompted a lot of this personal growth for me, like I have done that work. I'm doing that work actively, both of those pieces. I I'm, I try to be very aware of how I am yes. bonding in those more challenging moments in life, but I, I've done deep therapy. I was just sharing with you before I just came out of an intensive four-day training on this stuff as a therapist, but they very much had us like doing our work in these processes. And I mean, I can just tell you, like, I reflect on the kind of anxiety I had in my relationship. And that was without any kind of infidelity or betrayal having happened or stuff like that. I mean, again, like it almost baffles me that I was feeling as insecure as I was, but I've come to understand why that was happening for me. And I'm in this place today where you know, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know what the future w- will hold. And I, my partner, my husband, he is his own person too. And he could go through some midlife crisis stuff. I don't know what will happen, but I feel so secure in my marriage. Like that anxiety of, you know, the status of my relationship and is it right? And should I be in it? It is not there for me. And I'm not saying we don't have challenges. I'm not saying we don't have fights and deal with conflict. We certainly do. We're raising little kids. Life is chaos. But I don't have the same kind of narrative going through me as I did back then. And just that fact for me, it's like, you know, the transformation that happened with my anxiety really is just so cool. Yeah. And I think it reminds me of what Sue Johnson said. She's the, many of my listeners have heard me talk about her work. It's been a huge influence in my life. Yes. But Sue Johnson talks about when you have that secure connection, when you have that secure attachment, everything else are just dumb issues, right? Like pretty much because that's always like, that's always issue number one, which is, am I Mm -hmm. secure? Am I safe? Am I, you know, just, and so a lot of people that are coming, like you said, in your relationship, you're not, you know, you're not trying to do all the heavy lifting of trying to heal from major betrayals, but even for couples who are, you know, part of that healing from the betrayal is, do I want to be with this person? Do Mm -hmm. I, that can linger and nag on for years if you don't approach this process mindfully and understand you know what you're needing like where where you're coming from what you're bringing are you creating um a dynamic in the relationship like all of those things are just critical things to examine think about talk about that you can't really put off on your partner how you're showing up how you're what you're bringing um, right because you could have the most right. trustworthy safe person who's done all the work and has created perfect conditions and will never hurt you again in that way and everything's solid and you could still relationally and emotionally in an attachment way, just be really insecure and afraid and all that other stuff. And you've, that, nobody can fix that for you. That's what you're saying. You've got to, this is where your own mindfulness and awareness of how you're showing up, what you're bringing really matters. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I only came to like hear this type of language again through being in this field, but you hear family therapists, couples therapists, I mean, the masters in this field talk about this idea and this truth that in our partner relationships, we almost attract somebody that's going to give us this familiar experience that we had growing up in some kind of way. And it's those funny things that we hear like, oh, you married your father, you know, you married your mother. And it's like, that's so weird. But (laughs) there's some truths to some of that in the sense of like how really deep and true that our body holds in those experiences. Our brain learns to survive things emotionally a certain way and it, it impacts our relationship template and the kind of partner we seek to have. And so, of course, like, you know, it's important to note, like, this is never about like, you know, betrayal happened and, you know, you should just deal with it. Or that means you should be like grateful that you're going through this. Like, no, not at all. I mean, none of us want to have to go through those kinds of painful experiences, but it's a bitter pill to swallow. But the truth is, is that pain can become a platform for deeper growth and deeper healing, whether you do it together or apart. But the research is there that if you choose to do it together and you're both willingly doing that healing process, that your relationship could actually be even more satisfying after. And I think it's important to not be afraid of that open door, because like you said, with your relationship where you noticed that you were having all this anxiety about whether this was the right thing and you were kind of seeking perfection. Well, there's a reason using your story. There was a reason that Mm -hmm. that was so important to you, why you were coming into it with those anxieties. And so someone who's been betrayed, and I see this all the time with couples that I work with, it opens a door of saying, okay, like you're not responsible for that betrayal. I'm speaking to the betrayed partner. You didn't create it, but now you have an opportunity to learn a lot about yourself, how you react, how you respond, what you need. And if you put all that off on your partner just to button things up, and then you can get back to living your unexamined life, then I think that that's a real missed opportunity. And I don't think that people attract betrayal. I would never say that. Right. right. And I think in our field, you know, there were a lot of writers and therapists and teachers, you know, 30 plus years ago that were saying things like that. And I don't agree with that. Mm. I don't think that's healthy. But I do think that we end up in situations, like you said, that feel familiar to us, almost like a language or a dance that we just can kind of sink into all of a sudden. Because it just seems normal. It's our normal. Whether you grew up in a family system where there was a lot of emotional chaos or emotional avoidance or, you know, fill in the blank. There's so many things that combinations that we come out of. And so, yes, I think we do end up in relationships that just feel like home in a way. Mm -hmm. Or we are like, I'm absolutely going to choose the exact opposite of what I came from and I'm going to make sure. But you're still obviously still in that dance, even if it's in a pushback kind of way. And then you have triggers on that end. And so, we're always dancing with it somehow. So that to me, I love what you're saying. It's about opening that door up and saying, okay, how am I showing up? What am I dancing with? Where am I coming from? What are my instincts? Where is this programming? Who told me that? You know, all these things are just so endlessly important and interesting to go through. I know, totally. And I just, the deeper I go into this work myself, personally and professionally, it's like the more I just <laughs> want to go to my bio on my website and be like, if you're looking for a quick fix or the like five things you need to do to have a better relationship, don't work with me. <laughs> because right, right. I, you can, once you see like the, 
the depth, but that through that depth and inner knowing and relational mindfulness, how incredibly fulfilling you can be in relationship. You just don't want to, you don't want to stay on the surface anymore. I think any individual mindfulness instructor, meditation instructor would say that this is not a quick fix. This is, this is a journey. This is a practice. Yeah, it's a way of life. Yeah, it's a very Mm -hmm. deliberate way. How's your practice? I mean, that's the question, right? Yes. When I've gone to meditation retreats or I've spoken with others who are practicing meditation, we talk about it like it's a practice, like there's no end point to it. And I think relationally, that's what you're talking about is Mm -hmm. new things come up. Like you said, you know, as you guys get older and your kids get older, and I've seen this with my own 25 year marriage, I'm not the same person I was back in 96. My wife clearly isn't as either and our kids aren't. And and so the, the mindfulness and being aware and staying present as new surprises come up or new changes or my own awareness of things that now matter to me that maybe didn't matter before, mm-hmm. uh, staying really centered and grounded is, is critical. What, Liz, yes. I'm so curious, like for you, what, what are some good practices relationally in terms of being mindful? What, in terms of some nuts and bolts or practical things, like what would this look like for someone who's wanting to become more mindfully or more relationally mindful? Yeah. Well, you know, as people are hearing us talk, I mean, I guess hopefully you are hearing that there is an individual component to that practice. You know, it's a relational practice, but like I tell people, you know, change often takes two, but it, it always starts with one. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of this reframe of doing relationships from the inside out. I will work on being the kind of partner that I want to be, being the kind of person I want to be in this relationship rather than putting my focus first, which we do a lot on, I need you to be this for me and then I'll feel safe. You know, it's, it's kind of un- like, yes, those needs are important, absolutely. But I'm yeah. just saying as a practice, there's a lot of focus on who do I choose to be today? Mm. Who do I want to be in this relationship, in this moment? How do I want to respond? Because honestly, like that's what's best for you. Um, you know, trying not to just accept invitations into conflict and pausing and holding space and, and taking responsible distance or saying, you know what, I'm not going to like who I become if I get into this with you right now. So I want to take some space and I want to hear what's going on for you, but I need, I need some time. Can we do this in a couple of hours? It's, it's, I mean, that's like a small example of, you know, things you can yes. do, but, but I think that that practice really it does start from within. It's a willingness to kind of unlock who's in there and how you have learned to respond during hard times or difficult transitions in life. I think it just takes a willingness to go deeper. And from there, like, again, going on my, on my personal experience, like, you know, I became a therapist. My husband did not. He's in HR. Like, he does a whole other thing. Yes, he is open. And that is like, that's like the one thing that I think I just had to kind of have there for me because as I've wanted to share and talk about these things and share the experience of going deeper into myself with him, that alone has brought us closer. I feel like he really sees me. And again, like I mentioned before, through that, I've invited him to do like intensives with me, workshops with me. I think that's a great way to deepen your relational bond and just get into these healthy conversations together about like who you are. And it's a real invitation to deeper knowing of each other rather yeah. than like just learning to conflict resolve and, and, you know, that type of stuff, which is important. But, you know, as you hear me talk, it's like, we're kind of, we're kind of 
getting into the meat of what is a long-term relationship. It's such an incredible opportunity to see into another person and to be seen. And actually, I can't remember who says it, but have you heard that somebody, I can't remember who, but they're like intimacy. Into me, I see. Into me, I see. And then from there, I can share that with you and invite that, invite you to see me too. Yeah, no, I love that. I've, I've used that a lot as well. I think, I don't know who said it, but it's fantastic. And I love the interplay. And I, th- I think that is, if you're listening to this and wondering, okay, regardless of what's going on in your relationship, whether you're working back from serious betrayal, whether you're maybe on more level ground and you're trying to figure out how to repair and rebuild. And as we sometimes call it, you know, the emerging relationship, the new relationship out of the, the damage, yeah. or you're just listening to this and just wanting to improve a pretty good relationship that you really maybe want to take deeper or make it more secure. There is this interplay I'm hearing, Liz, like, which is the awareness of how you show up in, in these kind of one-on-one interactions here and there and looking mm-hmm. at those patterns and saying, huh, you know, I don't like chasing my partner around the house all insecure and afraid, or I don't like how I just go quiet all of a sudden, or I don't like how loud my voice gets, or I don't, or I don't like how they respond to this and that doesn't work for me. And it brings up this and me, like you're starting to look at the patterns and notice that. I think mm-hmm. that that then has to inform a deeper practice because if you only yeah. put out those fires or just say, hey, will you quit doing that or stop doing this or I'll stop doing that and you just stop there, I think it's missing this other deeper piece, which clearly is going to hopefully eliminate or improve whatever you're trying to focus on over on this other interaction. But it'll also give you a chance to really transform yourself and understand yourself and your partner at a much deeper level. So that other part to me is always just running in the background the processing, the thinking. Has that been your experience? Like those two have to inform each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you just described that in a really great way. It's, Mm. it's a very integrated process and, you know, you can do this too, if you're not in a relationship, like come in, you know, work with a therapist that has this kind of training, but you can be single and going into this deeper knowing of yourself. Like, who did I learn to be in relationship? That's kind of the starting question. Who did I learn to be? Growing up as yep. a precious, innocent human in this world, what did my little world around me teach me? Who did I learn to become? How does that inform my adult reactions? Um, Beautiful. And I just feel like we are we're doing this work in such an incredible time because we know so much about our body and the brain. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's really cool to say like these concepts are backed by research. Like we, we see the differences in people's brain scans when they are in reaction and activation and upset and angry. And after they've used some of these new ways of being in relationship, how they don't get so flooded in their brain and their body when they're, you know, in a activating interaction, like they can kind of breathe through it. And, you know, it's not about perfection, but it's developing a new relationship to your anxiety anxiety is a way of life. It's a human experience. We're always going to have those pieces. And for those listening that struggle with like depression or other things, like, you know, it may not be like never having that experience again, but you will develop a different kind of relationship to that experience. And it makes a huge difference in those relational experiences for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like uh, Brene Brown says, I feel like we can just call her Brene, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody knows Brene. <laughs> yep. Um, where she, you know, she talks about, and I think Sue Johnson said something as well, right? If you can name it, you can tame it. Um, yeah. This, this idea, of course, that 
part of this relational awareness is the ability to say something like to name it, describe it. This is, this doesn't feel right. Or my anxiety or my depression or the intensity or something in this doesn't feel right. And I just think that if you can name those things, you can talk about them, you know, to yourself, to your partner, to a therapist and start to describe this, you can start to become less reactive to it and Mm -hmm. find your way into a more secure connection with yourself and with, with your partner or whoever you're in relationship with. One thing that uh, my wife, and I've shared this before on this podcast, but she started her mindfulness journey back in 2019 when she went to a seven day silent meditation retreat. Oh, wow. And she didn't understand what she was getting into. She just went thinking it was going to be a <laughs> girl's weekend with some friends. <laughs> and they, oh, gosh. They didn't even get to talk to different. each other. Right. It was just, it was really, <laughs> really strict. And so, but it was life changing. And what I noticed after that is in our relationship, the relational mindfulness that came out of that was profound because mm. um, instead of us trying to work things out on the spot all the time and getting stuck with each other, and we began having these weekly meetings just to schedule and coordinate and calendar. But we also integrated into that our relationship talking more formally about. And so we would both really just kind of sit and hold and look at patterns and hold stuff throughout the week. And then in these meetings, start talking about what we're noticing and really coming at the relationship from a place that was that was more mindful, that was more higher level, like looking at bigger patterns from a different perspective versus just always trying to solve it in the moment, which mm-hmm. was so much harder and left us sort of relieved that maybe we worked through something, but then of course things would pop up again. And I yeah. think I think the traction has been so much better because of that mindful practice, meditation practice, right. individually now feeding into an awareness of the relationship. And so I think they, you know, if you're mm. wondering where to start with that, like you're saying, if you haven't practiced any sort of personal mindfulness or meditation, or you're not slowing down in your own individual life, it will be very hard to have a relational mindful kind of practice. Yes. And I, I love that you reflected that. And just hearing that you are in a long-term relationship, 25 years of marriage. I mean, that's incredible. And and even just recently, like your wife's starting to get into a whole different kind of practice for herself. Like, totally. I just want to normalize that it is totally okay. And often the more common thing, if you and your partner are like not in the same place or not at the same level of readiness around this stuff, don't feel that pressure of like, we both need to be on board for this right now. Otherwise it's not going to work. That's where I'm like, I I rely on that piece of take personal accountability for yourself. You want this. So you do this, do this for you. And you'll be amazed. You know, you change one part of the system, the other parts start to respond to that in some kind of way. And sometimes that means, you know, a difficult result occurs, but a lot of times that partners are like, Hey, I see how this is impacting you. And I kind of want some of that too. I love that you said I'm, that. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, that's exactly what happened to me when she came back from that. I, I knew I had a very deep, deep feeling that I better start to get my butt into gear in terms of <laughs> really becoming more mindful, more, more yeah. aware, because I, I felt the shift and it was an invitation into that place. And I took it, but she started it. And so you're right. If you're dealing with a betrayal situation, if you're dealing with a relationship where it feels very unequal, or, mm-hmm. or you're, you're going different directions, then yeah, mindfully aware from your own kind of personal mindfulness, recognize how do I want to show up? What do I want this to look like? And, and see if your partner can respond to that in a way that, I mean, ideally would be better for the relationship, but somebody has to start. You can't just keep living reactively and hoping somebody will change. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, well said. 
So Liz, this is fantastic. And I know we could probably talk six more hours about this stuff, but <laughs> probably. we probably ought to give our listeners a little break here. <laughs> so thank you for joining me on this and talking about this fascinating topic. It's, it's something that's near and dear, obviously, to my heart. And I, it's something that I, I hope all couples can achieve individually and obviously together, but it is available to anyone who wants to slow down and, and pay more attention like that. Where can people find you? Tell us what you're doing, where we, people can find your work. Yeah. Well, I'm located in Dallas. And so for therapy stuff, clients in Texas can contact me at millenniallifecounseling.com. And um, I've also got uh, millennialrelationships.com, which is kind of my solo persona website. And you can catch my podcast over there and just stuff I'm doing on social media and yeah, just see what I'm up to. Which is where I found you because yeah. you do a lot of great stuff and put out some great things. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy following you and appreciate all your insights. You're you're right on target and, and it's it's just really good stuff, really solid stuff. So thank you again for uh, sharing your time and your expertise with our audience today. Thanks so much. This was so fun. I want to thank Liz for joining me on the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. You can find Liz and her work at millennialrelationships.com. And of course, you can find all her social media links there as well. And I'll put those in the show notes like I always do to make sure that you guys can find her and the great work that she's doing. Thank you, Liz. I sure appreciate you. And it was just a great conversation. Thank you all as well for listening and for following this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And as always, love when you rate and leave reviews on this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And then of course, feel free to check out my website from crisistoconnection.com where I've got courses, I've got articles that I write every single week, my blog, and then of course, lots of other resources that are available for you to check out to strengthen relationships, especially relationships that are healing from some type of crisis or betrayal. So go check that out. I'd love to be part of your solution and be a resource for you. And I'll look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode.